What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Yep, yep, yep. This is the Wells Cast. By the way, this intro sounds like it's like a Law and Order. Do, 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 do. It's like um, I'm going to solve a murder or something, or I'm going to crack the case. Do it again and just listen for the do-do-do-do-do-do. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Right there. Baseline. Boom. Jackson, your honor. You're out of order. No, you're out of order. I'm going to crack the case. Yeah, welcome to the Wells Cast. Wells hanging out with Chuck. Um, excited about today's episode, man. But first, I want to do a, just a check-in. How's everyone doing? How's everyone How's everyone living? How you feeling? I know we're, we're living in weird times right now, but, uh, you know, I guess just try to put, a, put on a happy face. Is that a possibility? I don't know. Look for the good, I guess. I'm like every douchebag Instagram post that's like, Shoot for the shoot for the moon. If you miss, you land amongst the stars. I don't want to be that guy, but seriously, I mean, everyone's going through it. I feel it too, man. Good days and bad days, but today's gonna be a good day, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to have a very talented person on the Wells cast, multi-platinum selling recording artist, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, proficient at more than 30 instruments. I don't even know there were 30 instruments. I just thought there were like seven, but okay. Also achieved nearly 2 billion on-demand career streams. That seems like a lot. I'm no mathematician, but I think, I think billions a lot. I don't know. Along with six gold and platinum certified singles, including a massive five times multi-platinum crossover hit song called Wanted. With an astounding 50 plus award nominations and wins, including five Grammy nominations. Those are the good ones. From what I understand about the music industry, you want Grammys. Other than that, he was also on a little show called The Masked Singer. And he has been unmasked. And he's an astronaut. And no, it's not Elon Musk and his brand new baby boy whose name is, I, I can't even pronounce it. 
It it doesn't make sense. You thought that Gwyneth Paltrow's kid named Apple was weird? <laughs> no. No, that's normal. That's a normal name. That's like Frank now in comparison to Elon Musk's kid. Anyways, uh, I digress. Coming up on the Wells cast. Well, he lives in Nashville, so we have that tie. He's a good friend of mine, and I think you're really going to enjoy his origin story in just a couple of moments. We are going to have the man, the myth, the legend, Hunter Hayes. Stick around. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hunter Hayes, how are you, man? Good, man. Can't complain, honestly. A lot to be grateful for and uh, just, yeah, taking it one day at a time. How are you? I mean, you know, we're getting through it. It's weird because I'm a very social person. I like to go out and I like to talk and hang out with people and get drunk and all that kind of stuff. I can still get drunk. Good news. I can still get drunk, but I just, I got to do it like on FaceTime and Zoom with other people, so... Yeah, that awkward Zoom quietness. Yeah, I know. And like talking <laughs> over people, it's amazing. It's obviously it's a sad situation, but a lot of good is coming out of it. Like I've I've talked to my family more than I ever have talked to my family. You know, oh, man, that's amazing. That's so. good. Good for you. Like, there's no getting around it. We've kind of I think we've become numb to the fact that it is a very sad situation and is a very difficult situation. I think everybody's just trying to keep positive and stay on the upbeat. And and yeah, I mean we've made the best of it i'm kind of diving into making the album which honestly i kind of wanted anyway so i'm you know taking advantage of the time at home working from home and and uh and diving in like i wanted to you know so yeah well i want to congratulate you on your run on the mass singer 
<laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I did not expect to get that far, so I'm very happy. <laughs> so but that's amazing to me. Like I, I talked to Brett Michaels the other day, and I've done like uh, Paul Schaefer and other mu- actual musicians who are on the show. Everyone says the same thing. Like I'm amazed I went this far. But why wouldn't you think you'd go that far? You that's what you do for a living. Yeah, one would think, right? But uh, I don't know. I I learned a lot from it. I'll say that. I learned a lot from the process. I think, I don't know, you go through like rehearsals and and you get to the first show day and you realize that, number one, you're under a mask. You're like, you're hidden entirely. So chances are... (laughs) <laughs> you know, chances are whatever you think you're putting into your performance may translate it, yeah. might not. And I think the first day that you really do a show is when you realize that there's so much more to this than meets the eye, no pun intended, because my mask actually was the first without any eyes on it. And we talked about that for like two weeks. But anyway, um, I think you just you start to realize that there's so much more to it and that you've really got to up your game. I like I, you know, the choreography was something I really wanted to do. Right. Uh, but I really had to do a lot of work to get to where I got. And it still wasn't like, you know, where I wanted to be, but it was, you know, it was enough, I guess, you know, and, and just different things like, you know, being on stage and not being able to connect, connect with somebody, you know, with your eyes. Right. It's like, that's so weird, but I will never say I got used to it. I will never believe that I got used to it in any way, shape or form. But I think I learned, I learned a lot about the voice and how the voice can actually do the connection when you can't actually look at somebody. Yeah, and it's funny. I think that's the common denominator that I've found because I've, I've interviewed, you know, like Victor Oladipo, other people that aren't singers that were on the show. And for, for people who aren't, you know, performers and singers, the mask is a comfort. It's a blanket for them, right? Like mm-hmm. the people can't see you. So it could be anybody. So y- your ego can be saved. But for actual singers, it's really <laughs> tough because you're so used to actually connecting with audience members and your band, I'm sure, and it's opposite. But I tell you what, man, the show is so entertaining and so fun Mm. to watch. Are you happy you did it? I'm so happy I did it. Honestly, I would recommend it to anybody. It's fun to make, and I'm sure you've heard this, but the crew that works on the show, it's as if it's their favorite show that they work on, right? And like my my internal team, like I wasn't allowed to talk talk to anybody, but like four people. Those four people, well, I have never felt closer to, to to a crew working on a TV show because you form this bond because they're the only people that you can form a bond with. And they just have a great attitude, man. They're just like – because it is. It's supposed to be fun, and I think everybody keeps that. Like the days when I would really get in my head, like I would have three different people stop by the trailer and just you know, knock on the door and just come in and just say, just have fun. And I, I always – it used to drive me – it drove me crazy because I was like – I'm I'm a I'm a bit of an analytic when it comes to you know rehearsing for a show and then once it, once you get to the show you have no control over what happens you just like you're on the you're on the roller coaster ride and you're strapped in I really did enjoy it and I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about my voice it was such a perfect timing too because you know I was I was going out to LA to work on the album and it was a it was a massive transitional time for me and the show kind of helped me through some of those transitions personally without it feeling like it was work. Do you have a thought of who's going to win? I really want Turtle to win. Yeah. Even though I was I was sort of competing with him. I think my uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I just like I watched how hard even though like you don't really see anybody else's performance and you can't really hear anybody else's performance, but watching it along with the rest of the world once it airs, um I think he's put a lot of work into into his craft and and I I like I I would easily vote for like three other people. Um, and I'll be honest, some of the people that I would have voted for, 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 for winning are already gone, which is really surprising. But 
I really think Turtle should take take the trophy home. I I would love that. That would make me feel so happy. Everyone thinks that the kitty is my fiance, and what's that like? <laughs> well, because we watch the show and like the clues do add up. There's a lot of Harry Potter references, and her dad is on is in the Broadway production of Harry Potter, and there's like Rose references, which obviously I was on The Bachelorette. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm I'm sitting there going, "Wait, are you the f-ing kitty? Like, did were, were you going? Like, I've done enough of these interviews that like, no, you don't tell anybody. And I was like, would you tell me? And everyone's doing like all the things, and I'm like, maybe you are. Like, when did you have time to do this? So, Where were you between January and March of this year? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, she was filming Modern, but she totally could have been like going to Modern and then like going over to, you know, the other lot and doing Like I would have never known. I'd be like, can't oh, yeah, you're her. at work. Can't trust anybody. You can't, you can't at all. Nope. So <laughs> comes out that she is the kitty. This is going to be f***ed up, man. I'm going to be like, what? <laughs> really? A bit. A bit messed. Yeah, I think you guys should definitely, if that comes out, if that is the case, I think you guys should definitely see somebody and yeah. see the counselor about that particular issue because I think secrets are, uh, <laughs> secrets can be trouble. The funny thing was, obviously, I've had to keep you know tight-lipped about it. It was easy for me because I had an excuse when I was in LA because I was writing, I was making the record, and, and most of the stuff we did for the show was in the morning. So I was back home and working and back to normal life for the most part, you know, before I would have naturally woken up. And so no one had, no one asked any questions, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was the first time that during the taping of the show, the show starts airing. So they were kind of trying to figure out how that works because obviously we were going home and watching the show. And, and I started getting texts before, before I was even on the show, I was taping it, but no one, I wasn't air, like it, it was miles away from being aired. And I had so many friends texting me because of Turtle, because of their one or two references to me when they when Turtle was on for the first or second time. And that alone was really tricky. Like trying to navigate, like I was honestly able to tell them like, no, that's not me. Like good news. Like it's not me. But then once they, (laughs) once my episode aired, they would text back and I just, I have a lot of unread text messages. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I don't know if anyone told you kind of the idea for this show. If not, that's good. That's good to know. (laughs) Everything's a surprise. I like it that way. So I'm just kind of really interested and a a bit obsessed with how people got to where they are. Like, I'm really into origin stories. I think it's really cool. Everyone knows your your story probably once you started getting Grammy nominations and having multi-platinum hits and stuff. But I think it's a, a good learning tool for a lot of people out there is how you got to that place. You know, there's that kind of like that old adage that uh, to be an overnight success took a long, long time. And yeah. I assume that is like that for you, considering that you started making like local TV appearances at the age of like four, which is bonkers to me. So I want to hear yeah. Hunter Hayes's origin story. Where did you come from and how the hell did you get here? Yeah. Well, I was, I was born at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm the oldest I've ever been. I, I was born in Louisiana, South Louisiana, only child, spoiled, only child. My, but when I say spoiled, I mean, my parents like, you know, worked two and three jobs to make ends meet. Never complained about it. You know, we would go to restaurants, a lot of restaurants in Louisiana. Like there's a, there's a really like just brilliant heritage appreciation in Louisiana for the history of Louisiana. And and that includes music, food, and a whole list of things. And I was always around music. My dad loves music. He's not a musician at all. Neither is my mom. Um, Actually, ironically, I learned how to play guitar because my mom wanted to play music with me. So she took lessons, came home, taught me the chords, and she never played again. And that's how I learned guitar. So props to mom. 
but I grew up in this very musical area and a lot of restaurants had live music every night. And I was, I was obsessed with the way that made me feel, you know, that lift. My grandmother gave me a toy accordion because apparently when I was like, you know, under two years old, I was taking things around the house and making them into instruments. So my grandmother gave me a toy accordion. I never put it down. My dad had to buy multiple to fix the one that I would always carry around. It just kept kind of snowballing with other instruments. I would get obsessed. And I, I, uh, at the same time, I was we were going out to see these live bands. And we would see them often enough where they would see me playing accordion on the side of the stage. This one guy asked my dad, does he know any of the songs? And my dad was like, yeah, he knows this one, that one. And he's, he started learning this one, yeah. right? And uh, they pulled me up on stage, and I just I loved playing music. You know, it wasn't necessarily attention or, or fame or any of that stuff. I just loved the feeling of making music, especially with other people. You know, fast forward, I you know in middle school I started writing songs because that was my outlet. You know, I didn't really have a whole lot of friends. Music was kind of my only friend in a lot of in a lot of times in my life, and that's when I fell in love with songwriting and storytelling. That's also when I got my first like Pro Tools rig, my first recording rig at home. I never came out of my bedroom after that. I was just like, end of making records. I just, I loved the fact that I could and nothing could stop me. And because we were playing gigs, I had just enough equipment to to finish songs because I didn't really have any other resources. It's not like I was going to rent a studio or, or pay for a band. I, didn't, just, I couldn't afford that. So the biggest thing was just like, do it yourself. Get it, get it across the finish line and, and show the world the, the vision that you have. And, and I think that's when I realized that if you hear something in your head, you can probably make it happen by some form or another. That's been my process ever since. I write hundreds of songs a year. I believe that I feel like part of my purpose has always been to take a lot of different things, take all of my favorite music, you know, whether it be country or not. You know, I, I love country music and it's always been a part of my, my DNA, but so has like blues and so has pop music. A lot of timeless pop music you know this i reference records like you know some of sam smith's songs and the adele stuff and even sean mendez that's why i like his stuff it's just timeless so i i've always seen it as kind of my duty to take in all the things that i love and then internalize them and then turn them into my favorite version of those things and then also be brave enough to share the kind of stuff that the others aren't sharing because someone probably needs to hear that kind of music. Somebody probably needs to hear those lyrics. That's been the most rewarding part of what I do is those vulnerable songs that I don't, I mean, dear God, fuck, I didn't think we were ever going to be able to put that out. I didn't think the label would let me put it out. And that's to this day, the most successful song off of, off of Wild Blue. So it just kind of reaffirms what I believe is kind of my purpose. And I don't know if you could call it my strength, but what I love doing. And I fell in love with songwriting in middle school, high school, we started taking trips to Nashville because that was Music City. It, it, you know, there were everything, not just country, but everything. And I started meeting people and making friends. And I got passed on by like three or four labels. And then at the last minute, somebody came in and was, and and it went from me having to sell myself to for the first time a record executive was selling himself to me. And I was like, okay, well, this feels great. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. And uh, that started kind of the journey of okay, now. I'm officially an artist. And that happened after I got my publishing deal, which I, I, I still work with Universal Music Group Publishing, which I love because I connected with good people. And I think that's been one of the biggest blessings about being in Nashville is the people that I get to work with. Um, it's a very different atmosphere, and, and they care about their craft. They care about people at the end of the day. And I think that great music comes from people feeling like people and being people. So going back to where you grew up, you said South Louisiana. Where exactly? 
a town called Brobridge, Louisiana. B R E A U X. Of course. Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Born and raised in Brobridge. I moved to Lafayette when like we were in middle oh, I was middle middle school. Uh, I don't know what it is about being an only child. I always feel the need to say we even though it's just me. Yeah. But uh yeah, moved to Lafayette and then moved to Nashville when I was 16. Were you going to New Orleans a lot like during those those years as well? Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of gigs in New Orleans. We had more gigs in Texas, honestly, than we yeah. did in Louisiana. Uh, we spent a lot of time in between Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Tons of like Cajun music festivals because I used to play a lot of Cajun music growing up. I mean, there's so many friends of mine that that make a very very nice living doing that right now in Louisiana, and because there's just so such a demand for that kind of Cajun dance music, you know. The one thing that I've learned because I went to school in Mississippi, so we would go down to New Orleans a lot and Baton Rouge a lot, and I had friends from everywhere in Louisiana, and especially in New Orleans, it's one of those places where it seems that culture and art just kind of oozes out of everything. Like, mm. like everyone's yeah. an artist in Louisiana it, it, and it doesn't even matter what you do. Like you, you could be a street artist. Cool. You know, there's a chef, you know, you're, you're definitely an artist. You're a barista. You're, you're a, a mixologist. You're a musician, you know, like everyone, there's just so much culture. And, and I don't know if it's that state and that city in particular, or it's just so old that like, it's just been this melting pot. But every time I go there, I feel so inspired and I'm not I'm a crap guitar player but every time I go there I'm like I gotta I gotta write some music man I can do CDG and you know eat so you know I, I guess the question is is do you think that where you came from had a hand in who you became for sure yeah because like the thing that I connect with when you say all that is it's a very expressive uh part of the world a lot of a lot of people express uh how they feel there's a lot of feelings and there's a lot of expression, and I think that's where the sort of the outlets get found, right? Through culinary arts, through you know uh, visual arts, through musical arts, and there's sort of that like I think there's sort of a license to because of the heritage and the history, right? There's so much art and things that already exist that it's kind of like that you're kind of not not expected to, but you're you're there's always open doors because of the fact that it's been laid before you. Like you, you've seen that your ancestors, your, your parents, your grandparents were all very expressive and, and artistic in some kind of way, right? Not, not all, not universal, right? But in reference to what you're saying, I, I can tell you musically what I find consistently. I, I always have to hear something that feels like blues. And by blues, I mean one note that just like makes you feel something different than everything else going on in the, in the song. I love like really heavily syncopated rhythms, like things that are busy but not sounding busy. They just make you, they just keep you moving. I, I mean, I think I grew up playing Cajun music and the whole thing was to keep people dancing. And I think that's still kind of something that I keep in mind is like if you're not moving to it, you know, there, there will be people that will attach to the lyric and there will be people that are just attached to the feeling of the song. And I think that's what Cajun music taught me a lot was that the feeling of the song does a lot of, does more work than you think it does. So, that definitely had a huge, huge impact on me. I come from this radio background and, you know, there were years where I was having to make the decisions on what stuff we would put on the air. And, you know, you get pitched on all these songs by all these record label reps and, and you know, you have these music meetings. What I love about music, and I think that, not to speak for you, but I, th I think that's kind of what you're talking about is music has this like visceral impact on you physically. I remember sitting in music meetings, if a song was a hit, it wasn't like, oh yeah, you know, the chorus comes in at 37 seconds and it's only two and a half minutes. And, you know, it's, it's not like the nuts and bolts of music business. It was, 
oh man, I got goosebumps when I heard the chorus. You know, like something happened in my body that made me realize that this was good. I feel like, especially in that part of the world, every time I go out, it might have to do with the fact that I've had 17 hurricanes, but I'll be like, oh my God, like I can feel, it's not that it sounds good or the lyrics are cool. Like my body knows it's really good. Yeah, to say it is all feeling based. It all starts from a feeling rather than ideas, which I think, yeah, I think that's definitely something that I, I might accidentally take for granted, especially when writing. Because, I mean, there's so many things that I've started lately. Like, I, I've moved away from, you know, when I first moved to Nashville, writing was very, very clinical, right? It's very sh- scheduled here. It's it's you meet at 10 or 11, and you're done by 3 or 4, and that's it. Like, and, and it's scheduled months in advance. So it's not like you <laughs> – it's hard to walk into the room with a feeling. But – I was told by, I think, my manager, Ansel, when I first started co-writing, he, he just told me, he was like, always walk in with an idea. He said, you don't have to write it, but always have something that you're committed to. Because of that advice, most of the stuff that's been written that I've written has come from those things. And, and so lately, I've kind of been better about like writing by myself and not because I want all the credit or whatever. What that does is that starts from the feeling and that every lyric you know, attached to the root, which is that feeling. And there's been five songs that I've finished on this album that I still took into co-writers and said, hey, I feel every part of this. Help me make sure that everybody else does too, right? And that's been a really fun process. But yes, all, all going back to exactly what you just said, it is feeling-based versus, you know, mathematic. I've known about you for a while. You've been on the scene for a long time, but you're a young dude. What year did you move to Nashville? Oh eight, oh nine, I think it was. Technically graduated with my 09 class, none of whom I knew or met or ever went to a class with. So I never walked in my graduation. I just skipped it all. I was just like, I'm ready to start working. Like, I just want to make music, like screw all this other stuff. And this is high school you're talking about? This is high school. Yeah. Sorry. I should have been. uh, And and that's not to discourage anybody from finishing high school. But for me, I just like I had gotten a publishing deal. Things were starting to happen in Nashville and I I, I needed to move to Nashville. And we were kind of waiting for that. Like when I say we, me and my parents, it was a big change. It was a big move, especially being an only child like that changes everything. And, And so I kind of waited until we had a something on the table, right? Some kind of job opportunity, essentially, is what it equates to. Um, and I was I was offered, you know, kind of a monthly thing with a publishing company, and that that justified that justified me uh, pursuing a dream to parents who were a hundred and fifty percent supportive, but two hundred percent cautious because this is not something they have experience with. So you don't want to just kind of just hope for the best and then fall flat on your face. Although I did, and that was really good for me. So, you know, I, I think I'm very grateful for that. But that was 2009, 2009, yeah. So, I mean, you're walking around as a little kid with this accordion. Your parents are throwing you up on stage at, you know, some Cajun restaurant. Was it a foregone conclusion that this is what you were going to do with your life? And did you ever get any pushback from your parents for it? I never did. Never got any pushback. I was always encouraged, but I think the blessing was that they didn't do music. So my love for it was seen by them from an external point of view and not from a, I've been there. It should not from a comparison point of view. If anything, this one summer, I remember my dad kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, we don't have a whole lot of shows coming up. And he said, I, I did that on purpose. You know, you've been playing for the last 10 years of your life. And it wasn't like I was doing 200 dates a year, right? We were doing like 60, 70 dates, but that was a lot, you know, uh, every weekend. 
the rule was that I couldn't check out of school on any weekday other than Friday. Um, and we'd go play fairs and festivals and, you know, we'd get in the truck and haul the trailer. And, and when I was in high school, I'd, I'd go by myself, pull the trailer, go pick the band up. And, um, but this one year, I think I was 13, 14, he, he said, I want to make sure that you, you still enjoy this. And, and at the end of this sort of like, let's call it six months, half a year of not playing. If this is still what what you, what you want to do, then I'm all for it. But I want to make sure that you know that and you don't feel like you have to do it because you've been doing it. And that was the worst six months of my life. And I wrote so much. I've, I've built more. It's honestly, it's like I feel right now in quarantine. I finished DIY home improvement projects. <laughs> I, I finished building a, my little studio in my guest bedroom. And I finished an album. That first show back, I was so excited and so amped up. I couldn't sleep. And I ended up getting sick and having to skip the show. And that <laughs> crushed me. Because then I had to wait like two more months. And, and it was just torture. But that told me a lot. It told me a lot about the fact that I love the why I love playing live music. And it taught me a lot about where I go to express and to feel whole again. It has always been music. Good on your parents for that. In the yeah. beginning, you were talking about like the you weren't cool. You were like kind of hiding out in your room with your Pro Tools rig and, and, and working on your own stuff. But you're in high school, piecing out on Fridays to go, you know, play some big gig when you were in high school are you cool like i imagine i would lose out to every like rock star when i was in high school you know like my girlfriend would have been like oh, i'm gonna date the rock star guy was there a turning point where you became like kind of cool no because there's a giant disparity <laughs> between rock star and a guy who plays cajun music <laughs> dance covers i mean there's a giant difference and also i think i I, and I don't know why. I've never really examined this, but for some reason, I didn't want anybody at my school to really know what I did. You know what I mean? I don't know if it was because I had a bad experience at like my first school, because I definitely did, and I left for that reason. When I got to my new school, when I say my new school, like I started middle school at a new, like I went from a Catholic school, which that was an experience, to uh, a non-denominational Christian academy, which was a whole other experience. And I'm talking, like I said, my parents worked two and three jobs, so it's not like we're at, we're, it was a it was a culture shock for me. It was a really interesting experience because once I got to that school, I kind of didn't want anybody to know what I did, anything about that. And it almost worked out that way. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, I think I ended up running sound for some of the chapel like events. And I was like, I really want to play music. So I might as well like find a way to play music while I'm here. So yeah, it was the opposite. And I, I definitely like attached to and related more to people who were just like nerdy and creative. Like my group, like there was no one alike in our group. We none of us had the same hobbies, which made it really interesting when we wanted to hang out. But I mean, my best friend Christopher, we would write scripts together and we would make you know independent movies. Say hello to my dog Cole behind me. We would make like independent movies, and he was a great actor and like he would do skits and stuff. We were a weird group, and that was. And I, but I loved that group. You yeah. Know? Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. 
So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You're talking about you're kind of doing all this like cage and cover stuff, you know, doing a little bit of research, something something like you can play over 30 instruments, which I didn't even know there were over 30 instruments. So that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine that if you're that musically talented or diverse with your musical ability and you are an amazing singer, there had to be a moment where you had to decide kind of which lane you wanted to go in. You could be a pop star. You could be a country singer. You could be a polka singer for all I, I know. Why did you choose country? Because at the time, and I have to be really careful how I say this, but at the time that I moved to Nashville, I knew what kind of weird my music was going to be. And I knew what kind of different I wanted to be. And I knew what I could bring to my music based on the things that I loved and the things that I had studied and the, the parts of my craft that I had sort of honed in at that time. And in that context at that time, remember 2008, 2009, I saw a place for me because country was so diverse. There were so many things going on. You had Taylor Swift, you had Rascal Flatts, you had Keith Urban, you had Brad Paisley. You had so many diverse sounds in country music and so many different kinds of storytellers that I saw that there was a place for somebody who wanted to make the kind of records that I knew that were like my strength. At that point, my weirdness was an advantage, I felt like, because I could carve out a new place for myself. For a while, that went well. <laughs> you know, I got to be that sort of weird kid. I got to play my sort of blues guitar licks and and make you know a record that I'm still really proud of with Dan Huff. My debut record is something I, I that's kind of the that that's the bar. Everything should feel that pure. I, I don't think there was anything on that first record that felt like it was trying to be anything other than what it exactly what it was, and I was really proud of that. And I thought that there's no way to plan you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, you know, in the future, I just knew that I wanted to make music for the next 50 years, 60 years. Um, so I needed to start in, in, in a place where, where I could be purely myself and I could be embraced as me. My narrative had to start there. You know, if I started by just cutting a song that we knew was going to be a hit 
and producing it the way that everybody else is producing theirs, like that only lasts for so long. So I think I just, I, I knew that longevity would start with honesty. So, I mean, you toured with Taylor Swift, like back in 2011. And I imagine that a lot of people in country looked to Taylor Swift and I don't, I don't even know the algorithm that she was able to, to kind of put down, you know, she's at this point bound by no genre, which is amazing, but a very, very terrifying thing to do as any musician, because the one thing that you hear a lot when a band or an artist goes in a different direction is I miss the old X, Y, and Z. And I like the, the, the first records. I guess my question is, do you want to pivot? Because obviously you can, would you ever, or do you kind of like, like what you've created in this moment and continue like down that path? The really interesting thing that I think the last few years have, have been for me to figure out and what a beautiful moment it was to sort of clear the trees and see the sunshine and realize that I don't have to pivot. I've done exactly what I do for a long time. And it's funny too, because like when I was in LA, when we were working on, on when we were starting recording for Red Sky, I got drunk one night and, and played like an album that I made when I was 15, that album actually that I made alone when I was alone for a long period of time. And it's funny how like sort of, it has country elements, it has blues elements, it has alt rock elements, and it has pop elements. So it's like, it was interesting to hear 15-year-old me kind of informing 28-year-old me of like the things I still f***ing love. With that said, I realized that luckily musically, like there's no pivoting needed. The music that I make when I'm unfiltered, which, you know, this past year has kind of been a, a process of undoing those filters and undoing the things that like, oh, are they going to like, you know, they meaning like the business, right? Are they going to accept me for this or or am I going to have to like <clears throat> shift the way that this sounds? Am I going to have to paint it a different color for them to accept it? It was really interesting that when I did the things that I just wanted to do and needed to do on the Wild Blue side of things, dear God, Wild Blue, still, one good reason. And those are the songs that fans connected with. Now, on the other side of like the writing and creative, the part that no one else gets to hear yet, I'm finding that the stuff I'm making sounds a lot like the stuff I made when I was 15, except it's hopefully it's it's more refined <laughs> versions of all that. So I think if anything, I'm just doing what I love to do, which is infusing all these different sounds. And some of it sounds like one genre. Some of it sounds like another. At the end of the day, if none of it sounds like it's trying to be any of those things, then I've done exactly what I set out to do. As long as it just feels, I hate to keep using the honest, but as long as you hear my music and you're like, oh, he must really like X, Y, Z, then that's that's a dream. That's that's amazing. You mentioned Dear God a little bit earlier in the episode, and a, it was a song that you thought that would never probably see the light of day just because of the essence of the thing in the context of the genre. I wonder, because I'm always interested, I wonder if you got pushback from the industry being like, you can't do this, kid. My favorite text that I got was, I don't know what the hell this is, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they didn't text it to me. It was someone that said that to someone I work with, and they were brave enough to tell me, because I <laughs> honestly, most of the time, I don't read reviews, and I don't, because um, no one gets your why, like your fans do, you know? And as long as the fans get it, that's all that matters. I was actually really surprised, though. Dear God was a massive turning point because, as we spoke, I really didn't think that. I really did not think that they'd let me put it out. And much to my surprise, that was my A&R guy's uh, favorite song that I had written for the album. And I was like, how? How on earth is this the one you're going to love? But he loved it, and he took it around. 
to everybody at the label and he was like, this is amazing. And I mean, you know, one or two people say, you know, repeat that and, and it tends to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how, how people will, will listen. I think at that point, though, it had shifted from we need to find the single that's going to work in this particular lane or do this thing. And it was more of like, OK, this project has more to say. How do we tell the world that with the first song? How do we release? What, how how does the first song set the stage for the rest of the album? Mm-hmm. I think Dear God did that. It was a bit of a shocker, and I also wanted to make sure that the world didn't think that the whole album was going to be this like this really introspective, like depressing thing. It was just going to be honest, yeah. right? So with all that said, I think that was the shocker was that people at the label were actually really excited about it because for some reason they connected with it in their own way. Um, and again, that was another like total God moment where I was just like, okay, I hear you. I see you working and I'm going to keep working. I wanted to ask you, like, what are some of your formulas of things that you do that you attribute to your success? Hmm. And I don't even, I don't even mean like success in like it hits. I mean, just like being a right. successful person just in general. Right. Well, my dad spent a lot of time in the military. So there's a bit of a discipline thing on certain ends. If you ask the people around me, they would probably tell you that I'm not disciplined at all. <laughs> uh, musically, though, I, I am when it comes to my work and my craft. And also, I think something I got from my dad was if there's no one around to do it, do it yourself. And that's still my approach now. Like we <laughs> we, we take this concert series, this lab concert, this thing that we were supposed to take on the road. We take series and put it up on YouTube so that the fans could at least see parts of the show. I couldn't find a mix engineer quick enough, so I ended up mixing the whole thing myself. I'm not a mix engineer, but I just spent every waking minute, lost a lot of sleep and uh, a lot of sanity. When it comes to like the the album making, the music making, I think honestly, I have found I have found the parts of what I do that I love the most, and I use those things to keep me going through the parts of what I do that I don't love the most. Um, I know that. You know, on a day where I have to make a lot of like business calls and I'm the shittiest business person on the face of the planet because at the end of the day, I have one objective and that's to make more music. I know that at the end of a long day of making those things, I have something to look forward to. And that is starting with a glass of scotch, going back into that room and opening a song that I haven't looked at in probably like a month because that's going to re-energize me. And by tomorrow morning, I'll have something that I have done that I was excited about and I will share it with my team. And even if they don't give two shits, I'm still excited about it. I'm going to keep working on it. It's like my little vacation from from the other parts of what I do that are that are slightly more challenging. I think that's if I have a formula, that's it. It's find the things that you really love. And and not to sound all like brandy, but like part of like this whole chapter and part of Red Sky's messaging is is feeding your fire. And I think that's what we've kind of started is like our hashtag, the thing that I want the fans to sort of run with me on is 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 spreading that because I think we all have that fire. Um, it's important to feed it. It's important to do the things that just energize you and the things that you look forward to, you know? I want to talk about some of these projects. I mean, you mentioned both in that answer. So tell me a little bit more about In The Lab. Yeah, In The Lab is like 10 years in the making. On my first radio tour, you know, those guys that, that you, you know, you were in that world. Like you, you see five to 20 new artists every week coming through with a single that they really want you to play on every rotation. And it was kind of like, how do we set ourselves apart? I love singing, but I, I'm not like a, perf- a perfectionist singer by a long shot. I'm an emotional singer. And, and I was worried that just an acoustic performance wasn't going to communicate my passion for music. Like an idiot, I made a suggestion because I had an idea and it was another one of those 
do-it-yourself ideas. And I said, guys, why don't we bring like a mini studio on the road and I can make the song in front of them? And of course, business ears just popped up and everybody was really excited about it. And by the time another week had rolled around and they were like, okay, we're really excited about this idea. I actually stopped a mid-sentence. And I was like, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. I've thought about that and I don't know if I like it. <laughs> and because it sounds like a bit of a dog and pony show and I don't want it to feel that way. I do not want it to feel like showing off. It's got to feel like comfortable. That just started another two weeks of rehearsals for me at home and I had to find a way to make it personal. And, and I kind of did, but essentially what we were doing was a very fancy version of looping. And I wasn't very familiar with looping at the time. And, and after seeing Ed Sheeran's show, I was like, okay, well, technology has clearly advanced a good bit. I mean, there were looper pedals for years, but um, the way that I wanted to do it was, was a bit more complex and required technology to make advances. Anyway, fast forward 10 years, and now that I've put you to sleep, you can wake up now. I wanted to do a tour in my off season. I knew that there would be – there's always a time in the year where I wish we were on the road, but with something different. Pitched to my sort of team, I was like, what if we take this thing that we've been building for – because we've been building this thing for five years, and we never took it on the road. Yeah. And it's the lab. It's a live Ableton build. Oh, cool. And – it allows me to to loop and do like fancy arrangements because Ableton's so like in in depth. So uh, I actually have three Ableton techs just working with me on the software side of things to to program it. There's one that's actually like a licensed professor, like teaches Ableton, works with the company. So so it was a quite an extensive build, and it required a lot of people and a lot of man hours. So we finally got it built. We were finally like, okay, well, I think. We can actually take this on the road. And it's not just like a show about, look at me looping things. It's actually fun now, which was the biggest battle and I think the biggest challenge. At the end of the show, I want you to feel like you sat in my living room while I was working on a song. Yeah. You know, but you had fun. It wasn't a tutorial. You know what I mean? It wasn't, and it wasn't a show off, look at me playing instruments. It's a, Honestly, anyone can make music if you just want to. And it was a really fun show to put together. And uh, I don't know if the world will ever see it, but I loved it. And I think, honestly, it's great that we got to sort of build it, film it, and watch it back. Because, honestly, I had notes watching. Even though I mixed every episode, I watched the edit. Like, we we were all quarantined in this house working on the, the post-production of it. Because I'm a nerd and I love that part of it as well. Even th after that, watching it live with everybody, I felt... I feel like I felt what they felt, and I already made notes, and I already totally rearranged the whole show. But I'm really excited <laughs> to get on the road. <laughs> You're, it's funny how much of a perfectionist you are. I've never talked to Brian May forever another. He's a guitar player for Queen, and he's an astrophysicist. He's like he's like the, the biggest, the smartest dude ever. And not to say that you're an astrophysicist, man, I don't know, but like when you when I'm talking to you, the passion you have for such nerdy stuff is so <laughs> cool, and I love it, man. I do because. You can see how much you're just into it. Not to drive the point home of the show, but like you don't get to your level or, you know, Queen's level or whatever by accidentally being good at shit. You get to that level by being really, really good at your craft and working on it, you know? Yeah. I think that's a big misconception with celebrity in general is that like people just get lucky. And sure, it happens every once in a while, but there's no longevity yeah. in that. The people that are there forever are there for a reason. There was a brilliant quote that a friend of mine, she always reminds me of, and the first time she told me, I just could not figure out what the hell she was saying, but she said, turn your weaknesses into your strength, and one of my weaknesses is my my nerdy self, and I feel like I've just tried to apply that particular uh, advice and 
embrace it, you know? So in the lab, where can people watch that? That's on my YouTube channel. We ended up putting, like, we had two shows planned for this year. Not two shows, like two concerts, but two kinds of shows. Mm -hmm. One was my normal full band show, which has changed significantly. And one was The Lab. There's three episodes of The Lab because it's in three segments. And then there was one full band show that we did. We called it Hashtag Rescheduled. And that's kind of like my version of what the show would have been if we'd have taken it on the road right then. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's all on YouTube. And then, honestly, we're loading a bunch of stuff on YouTube now. We've <laughs> we made so much stuff over the past like six months that we're kind of like, well, there's no better time than now to, yeah. to put up videos on online. So, yeah, we're kind of trying to keep a steady flow. Yeah, that YouTube money is good money, man. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know yet, but uh, it's coming. That's don't right worry. <laughs> Wild Blue, I feel like part one was very was was introspective and and kind of about your growth as a human, as an artist, and continuing everything in life. I suppose. What can we expect for uh, part two? A shit ton of attitude. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like it's kind of like Wild Blue. The best way for me to explain it, Wild Blue is like planning for a road trip. I love taking these personal trips by myself. I get an Airbnb somewhere, I plan like five or six days, rent a car, and I like put pins on the map, but I don't really make plans. And I feel like Wild Blue was me putting pins on the map and me saying, these are places I haven't been before. You know, Madness, Dear God, Wild Blue, the song. Uh, still, honestly, there were so many things that I had not been able to do on an album and show the world. Red Sky is me getting in the car and, and going on the road trip. Like it's, it's that feeling when you're five miles from home and you're like, oh, I forgot to pack. <laughs> you know and you just you go and you have like a general idea of where you're going but the whole idea is just not to plan it and and i think red sky just has this very sort of like expressive like screaming uh, you know singing random things to the sky out the roof of a convertible right or uh, these really introspective moments still there's like an internal and an external version of the album too it kind of has this duality to it but it's about the actual physical moving on um yeah, and there's a there's a, just a ton of attitude on it. <laughs> well, I'm excited for it. I'm running out of time with you. Before I let you go, do you want to do a rapid fire question and answer session? Bring it. All right, rapid fire with Hunter Hayes. Number one, what is your coffee order? The quad espresso. Ooh. <laughs> Man, I'd be yeah. myself and running through buildings <laughs> with that. <man. laughs> Favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Favorite book? Wind, Sand, and Stars is what started this whole wild blue thing is it nonfiction? when santa stars is nonfiction, it's the same guy who wrote little the little prince okay yeah it's really inspiring you should check it out i i, I need recommendations because guess what got a lot of time in my hands right now who is uh, your biggest mentor i've got a few dan huff was one of them it is, uh, sounds like i'm dropping a name and i know this is rapid fire i'm gonna make this quick elton john elton kind of came into my life after i did uh, a tribute for him and we kind of accidentally became buds. He's just a big supporter. Like he, I think, has been through a lot, right? And knows that artists need support, other artists to support them and, and sort of help them through parts that they haven't experienced themselves. And he 100% is that. I can email him right now. He will call me within 30 seconds. That's how responsive he is. And that's how, like, it's not me. He does that for a lot of people. He's just that, that kind of guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Who was your first kiss? Oh, God, I'll never say her name, but it was a high school sweetheart. <laughs> Uh, what was your first car? 98 Chevy Suburban. And last, who would you call to get you out of jail? My manager. <laughs> <laughs> You'd get me out of jail, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I did instruct her, though. I was like, I think my, some days I feel like my image is too clean. So I told her, I was like, if I go to jail for something reasonable, um, <laughs> And I haven't like hurt anybody. Like if it's for certain reasons, make sure people know. 
<laughs> make sure that like you know I'm, I'm i don't look 16 you know <laughs> make me look like a tough guy like rebel yeah uh hunter Hayes, man thank you so much for being on the wells cast your story's crazy it's bonkers i've seen you perform i love your music i'm excited for this new record everyone go check out uh, everything that Hunter's doing. Where can people uh, find you if they're unfamiliar with your work? Wherever you want to. Uh, we've got, uh, we're on Instagram uh, as just me, Hunter Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. Same uh, for Twitter. All the music is everywhere. Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, obviously. We've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff happening on YouTube. I would honestly tell everybody to go to YouTube right now because I'm kind of like finding ways to bring people into this new album without formally releasing parts of the album. And YouTube and Instagram are kind of going to be my ways of doing that for the next couple of months, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Hunter, thanks so much, man, for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. And be safe out there, man. Thanks. You too. Same to everybody listening. I appreciate you guys. See you, man. All right. Cheers, buddy. There. I hope I didn't offend him by being like, you're such a nerd. I can tell that you're such a nerd. But I, I, here's my thing. Like, I want to drive the point home of there's this weird stigma, I guess, in the country or just everywhere that being nerdy is a negative. And if I've learned anything, like the things that separated me at a young age, the things that, you know, made me not part of the status quo are the things that made me successful, personally successful. I decided to do this one thing like no one was doing, which was radio. And everyone thought it was crazy. And I got super nerdy. I edit all this stuff. He's talking about Pro Tools, dude. I know how to work Pro Tools so well. I'm nerdy about music. You know, I collect vinyl. I research it. It's so easy to make fun of people for whatever their thing is. But generally, it's those things that are the things that make you successful. And if, if the whole point of this show is to showcase how the hell you get to be successful, I think that's a very, very important one is to find out whatever your nerd is and get really, really nerdy into it. For the most part, like I said on the show, you don't accidentally become successful. It's not an accident, all right? Unless you're born into a royal family, everyone's got to work for it. Hunter knew from two years old that he was going to be doing this. I think that's super cool. Anyways, thanks so much, guys, for uh, listening to the Wellscast. This was a fun episode. That guy is so talented. 30 instruments, you know? Insane. Be safe out there. If you can, please like and review the show. It helps drive us up in the weird iTunes algorithm. I don't know. I'm, I'm told that. That's I don't know. I'm done. Um, I'm gonna go make a drink. I'm gonna go make a scotch because Hunter said he was gonna do that. All right. See you guys. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.